Hey everyone and welcome to The Design of Everything, a podcast that uncovers people's creativity in all walks of life. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and this is episode number 20. We have job titles and people do specific jobs, but at the end of the day, you're all kind of utility infielder. You may have had a bad news story in the newspaper. Well, that was yesterday. Today, we're going to get a, a good one in there. You kind of campaign like a king. You say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Well, you actually need Congress to do all those things. So that's scary, but it's invigorating, and it's kind of exciting, and it is competitive. And interestingly, the guy that I've learned you know, most of what I consider to be the good parts of speech writing started as a stand-up comedy guy. For this episode, I think it would be best to begin with a quote from poet John Lydgate, which was later adapted by Abraham Lincoln. You can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time. But you can't please all of the people all of the time. The very nature of politics dictates that while one group of people will be pleased with you, another group will be utterly disappointed with you. My guest this week is Greg Lemon, who experiences this on a daily basis as a communications director and speechwriter on Capitol Hill. At a time when the news cycle never ends, the emails never let up, and the phone continuously rings, he takes a measured approach to politics, applying the old baseball adage, keep your highs low and your lows high. Instead, he chooses to focus on the greater goals of the team, remembering that growth and forward progress takes time. So this is my conversation with Greg Lemon about the design of political communication. My name is Greg Lemon. I'm a communications director for a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, a job that I've had for five to seven years uh, depending on when the job titles became official and things like that <laughs> through the through the promotion process. But I've worked in, in the Capitol Hill communications uh, since roughly 2011. And I got into it, actually, interestingly, right after I got through playing baseball in 2009. I you know, had graduated college, obviously, played a few years of minor league baseball and was talking with someone about what I should do next. Mm-hmm. Close family friend whose opinion I trust. And they literally said Capitol Hill would be a fun place to work. Really? It's a lot of young people. It's kind of like a college campus. It's very dynamic and energetic and ah. things of that sort. And so I said, that sounds pretty interesting. I mean, I had never, I didn't study political science. I didn't intern here like every other person that you see yeah. walking around. This person led me in the direction of a fun place to work as What Capitol did you Hill. study? I was a history major. Okay, well, that which helps. It, politics, helps. it, it, it helps. I mean, the, the main work that goes on here on Capitol Hill is a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and and uh, synthesizing of information. So that's essentially what you do as a history major yeah. anyway. Just the topic, my topic might have been ancient Egypt as opposed to the election of 1868 or right, whatever. Right. So it, it's the same thing. But this person directed me that this would be a fun place to work. I said, well, that sounds good good enough for now. <laughs> yeah, I need a job. Yeah, Fine. Well, tr- try it. So <laughs> I, I started kind of asking around, like, how do you go about doing this? And obviously the traditional entry point is through the unpaid internship. It turns out at the time in Delaware, Mike Castle was our representative. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a connection to his office that I didn't even know about at the time. Ended up interning with, with Mr. Castle 
for a little, you know, interned for a few months, started working for him full time, and it's just kind of snowballed from from there. Yeah. And where, what was your initial position after internship? So the initial sort of entry level job on Capitol Hill is referred to as staff assistant, which, as the name suggests, is that you are just assisting the staff with whatever it may be okay. that that day. So that may <laughs> Coffee. be. It, it could, you know, it could literally, it could be, hey, we ordered lunch, run out and grab it and bring it back. Yeah. It could be no one on our legislative team can go to this hearing. We need you to go take notes, report back. It okay. could be, you know, I drove Congressman Castle around a lot, you know, here in, in D.C. or drove him to the train station or whatever. So that's a part of me. A staff assistant is the jack of all trades, yeah. you know, utility infielder. just, just got to do everything. Yeah, and, exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> be on time on and time, deliver. Answer the phones a lot. Um, that's a huge part of the, the intern staff assistant role. People are calling. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize, I mean, our phones essentially ring nonstop all day. Not multiple lines ringing all day, but there is very little time in our office where there's no phone ringing or phone conversation going on. Wow. And how often is that just old people? more often than than not it's the the demographic that calls your your basic congressional office i'd say skews probably 65 and up they're at home they're watching the news they see something that they either like or don't like usually don't like and then they immediately call our or write a letter yeah or write a letter send it pony express we do you know it's starting to change we're getting more email but it's the phone calls are you know, people who are at home watching the news, which are right. generally older older right. people. But then we do spike at like lunch break. You know, people get on their lunch mm. break. Oh yeah, I meant to call so and so's office about that thing I heard about yesterday. Yeah. Got to do that during my my lunch break. So that's right. kind of interesting. So now you're a speechwriter and communications director. Communications director, speech writing. I mean, it all is sort of encapsulated under the communications director title. Um, but speech writing is a part of it. Media relations is a part yeah. of it providing our own staff with information about things that the member has said or done or is working on just so they know because they're we have you know half of our staff works in Virginia they're out in the community mm-hmm. every day speaking with people face to face about you know the the vote that he just took the bill he just introduced so making its internal communications yeah um, as well so do you watch SNL at all I watch a little bit of it I don't watch I mean I'm probably one of the few. I I, I usually I don't watch SNL when it's happening. I right. usually catch See the, the best of the best. Yeah. Uh, later, obviously, thankfully, my press secretary part of my role. I don't have to go in front of cameras. I don't have to hide amongst bushes ever <laughs> or in bushes, whichever it, it is, depending on who's spinning it. But well, when you look at that, you must think sometimes. Well, I could do better than that. Or is this the biggest nightmare ever? I I, I mean that is. We were actually talking about this the other day. There's really very few jobs that prepare you for what that is. Oh, I imagine. I mean, that because even the most senior communications director on Capitol Hill, let's just say, there's and there's people who work for Senate leadership who have done it for 20 years. Yeah. They don't do anything that's even remotely close to that. Right. There are some people who get more involved in doing TV interviews, you know, in the in the political realm that are maybe at the RNC, like Sean Spicer was, or so they're a little used to TV interviews. Yeah, that's generally one camera. Yeah, not a room, you know. So there, unless you did it somewhere else, there is nothing like it. So I I try to be very understanding of that when <laughs> you know th- this is a very I wouldn't want to do it. People are like, wouldn't you? Don't you? 
all you guys want to be the White House press secretary? You wouldn't, you wouldn't I would take not, that would, job? No, You're I offered that job tomorrow. I would not, not even for a second. <laughs> Nightmare job. I, I think it should. Because, well, especially the situation that he's in, he's saying one thing, something else is being said by another member of the administration. Like, they're, yeah. they're, it's clearly like some weird stuff going on there. Okay. Maybe under the right circumstances, you think about taking that job. But he, he a lot of times is defending himself and then the other person it's, it's just a, right. it's a web and you so believe Maybe me that's i want to hide in bushes too <laughs> but it's it's like i said it very few things could ever really prepare you for what day one of that job was gonna yeah gonna be like and i think also i mean the the media environment like the the beast is so hungry right now for everything yeah that i mean so it used to be and i actually learned this just recently i went to an event where ari fleischer who was a bush press secretary and Mike McCreary, who was a Clinton press secretary, spoke to a group of us. Traditionally, press briefings did not end until the senior wire correspondent said they were done. So like the AP, okay. whoever the senior wire reporter yeah. is in the room, they determine when the briefing is done. Like, have all the questions been answered? Have we covered all the relevant topics? Uh, evidently, that's no longer the case. It's like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Because I think there's just so much. They would probably say it's never going to be over, Sean. Right. You're here in, yeah. indefinitely. So, like I said, I, I wouldn't take it today or tomorrow. <laughs> so, so, what would be your end goal in politics? Yeah, heart. <laughs> Sorry to, um, <laughs> to, to put you on and, the spot. Yeah, of- it, it, I do, you know. The parts of the the job that I currently do that I really enjoy the most are the the speech writing, the the sort of preparing members for their interviews and and helping them best communicate their message. So those are things that I enjoy doing the most. Yeah. Primarily because it allows you to write, it allows you to kind of think strategically and what's how's this going to sound or where's this sort of um, what's going to be picked out of this comment that maybe isn't good or is good. So that. I enjoy that intellectual dynamic. So those are the things that I want to try to do more of mm-hmm. as I sort of advance in the career ladder, I guess and you would say. what is your approach to that? Take me through the process of writing a speech. Yeah, so, and this is one that we get... A killer speech. Killer speech, yeah. <laughs> Award-winning. Um, generally, the, the process is starting with making sure we have all the possible information about the event, the venue, topic, things that may not seem on the surface important, but mm-hmm. actually are the audience, oh. you know, these things. These are all stand-up things. Right. It's but like, yeah. you're walking into a big hotel lobby type room and you're you're just thinking, this is going to be a terrible show. Right. And, you, <laughs> and interestingly, the guy that I've learned, you know, most of what I consider to be the good parts of speech writing started as a stand-up comedy guy really he's a he's a speech and writing sort of coach consultant ish Mm -hmm. guy here in dc he actually i don't know if he has a phd but he definitely has a master's in in some ridiculous math physics yeah something just weird and off the charts in that sense then he started doing stand-up comedy then he's now Mm. he's now like a speech writing writer guy so all over the the map but that's one of the things that he's incurred you know we call it a spec sheet where you just get everything about this event because the venue, the audience, all those things clearly yeah. matter. Whereas the first time you do it, you're like, oh, I just write the speech. Words on paper and off you go. Right, right. And that can be bad. And we get into detail to, to the extent where, you know, who's introducing this into the speaker? Mm-hmm. 
is it just walk up to a podium? Are there steps? I mean, you have to prepare the speaker to feel extremely comfortable in what they're about to do because, yeah. as most people say, whatever their greatest fear is public speaking. And so we need <laughs> right. to try to make this guy feel comfortable about what is about to happen. Um, then there's always sort of a consultancy period with, with the speaker where we're going to, you know, what do you want to say? Mm-hmm. It's there. It's end of the day going to be their words, but we like, you know, they don't know the every sentence yeah. what's the message you want to deliver what do we want to talk about etc once we get that then you just start working on crafting it all together and again using some of those things that you learned about the audience about the event maybe uh, okay. it is a, an, a, an event uh, that happens every year or something like that so you kind of have a sense and you start putting it together doing research on the things that you're the principal wants to talk about connecting that to maybe the work that they do in, in Washington in some way so then it kind of takes on a life of its own as you just start drafting and writing and, and figuring out what's going to sound yeah. good. And the most important part is making sure that they read it one time out loud before they go up you there. Make them read yeah, it. there's nothing worse than, you know, did you look at that before we got it? <laughs> no, I didn't have a chance. And then it, that's why it wasn't good. Right, so that's right. a big part that also gets left out a lot. Yeah. Well, have you had people go off the cuff and you're watching in the back of the room thinking, oh my gosh, this is it's not going well. It, it happens and it, it's sometimes painfully awkward to see because you when you write a speech you're truly writing every word that's to be said i mean it's it's essentially to be delivered as prepared yeah and when you try to then interject something that pops into your mind and it doesn't fit yeah you know there may have been a larger theme or a larger lesson or a crescendo of some kind that we're building to (laughs) it's a good sat word there (laughs) but then if you kind of get off of that then now we've lost it or at least we've we've deviated a little bit and so it, it's not like cringeworthy ish but it's definitely head scratcher like it would have <laughs> yeah. been, you know if you just read the but that's again we always say you know their name's on the door so right <laughs> yeah absolutely you do it, like whatever they say is that's what it is good <laughs> right. good job well that's i mean that's kind of interesting the uh that their name's on the door but i assume not everything that they want to do everyone in the office agrees with so what's the approach in that sense of getting everyone on the same team? I, I think the, the most important part of it is giving them all the information that they could possibly require to come to a decision. Mm-hmm. And then there are certainly senior staff members who, who will weigh in and, and say their piece about it. I don't think this is a good vote. I don't think this is a good idea. Here's why. But then ultimately, so you do all that on the front end yeah. that's all done and all whether it's given you know some like to get it in writing others it's a meeting where we're talking about these things but at the end of the day their name is on the door yeah so then once the decision's made it becomes circle the wagons and we're going to go with that and you have to believe in you know that he made the right decision or she mm-hmm. made the right decision for for them and then we're going to go whether it's defend that promote that you know, whatever it is. Right. Right. Okay. It's, but it's, it, it can be interesting. I mean, there are people who I'm sure have super strong feelings about every issue under the sun. And maybe I don't know that anyone here works for a member who does exactly what they think should be right. Every 100% of the time. But yeah. At the end of the day, they make the call and then you, you know, implement the plan or implement the, the pol- whatever it is to the yeah. best that you can. Well, how important is it for someone in your position to have values that align with the person you're working for i would say pretty important but not critically i mean it's not the end of all things yeah 
you need to, I think, have a a belief certainly in the in the person and that they're a good member to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not always gonna think it was the right decision. But the most important thing for me is, okay, whether I think it was right or not doesn't matter. He or she thinks it was right. Now we have to make we have to make the best communications yeah. efforts out of it that we can, whether it's a press release, whether it's in a speech that we're doing soon or, or whatever. So yeah. I don't want to say it doesn't matter to me, but I try to, I try not to let that inject too deeply into what I'm doing because I need to support my boss, and that's the most right. important thing. And I can take, you know, I can go home and go, oh, that was uh, annoying, but then you do something, you know, the exact well, opposite. I think that's pretty fascinating because to me, I would have thought everyone's beliefs kind of have to line up. But it's just like every other job where yeah, <laughs> the boss is in charge. And yeah, it's like they're they're in charge. I mean, it, they're. I would say most, for instance, most people who who work for Republicans are, are Republicans themselves. Although the definition of that's kind of shifting every two years, it seems. And and same with with Democrat members. But there's going to be there's going to always be a a thing. Just for instance, like I myself have always always worked for Republicans. I'm personally not a big uh, gun guy because okay. I'm from Delaware. And we yeah. went to the grocery store for our meat, and so <laughs> I'm just—we never went hunting. Like right, we played sports right. growing up, so it's just not a big thing for me. So I don't get—I'm not like a rabid. Yeah, it's gu- deer guns. season. Yeah, like I, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I can communicate about that. I can write things about. I understand the the issue, and it, it's an interesting issue. But that's not something that gets me out of bed mm-hmm. in the morning. Whereas some of my colleagues or colleagues in other offices, it may be. Yeah. And and so that is kind of interesting. I've fired a handgun six times at a gun range in Vegas and thought, okay, I'm good. Really? Yeah. I shot clay pigeons with a shotgun and a rifle. And I thought, I could do this again. I was very surprised. I mean, it's, it's, I was surprised and, and I don't want to be too callous about it. I was surprised anyone hits anything in any, you know, city <laughs> shooting. It, it just felt like this is the most uncontrollable thing <laughs> really? I've ever, yeah. Huh. I couldn't tell if I was hitting the target. Right. It's so, it's so fast. It's so fast. And, so, yeah. and they're like, oh, that was a great shot. And I was like, that was. was <laughs> You're it? like, was it? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Gary, I'm natural. Yeah. I just shot a bow and arrow from, I don't know, uh, 30 feet back. And it was a bow with a sight and everything. And it was the first time I shot something like that. And right when I let go, I just hear thwack. And I'm like, I Good. guess I did I guess, something. Yeah, what did I, I do? I, I was so, I mean, I was very taken aback. Uh, by that, so that's just one yeah. one weird example. But and so, do you identify as Republican? Yeah, I'm a Republican. Although as a DC resident, I'm not registered as a Republican here in in DC because that would your secret you, safe. You me. wouldn't be able to <laughs> participate really in the in the political process. It actually probably would be smarter to register as a Democrat. Although I'm regist- I'm unaffiliated mm-hmm. as a district voter. Yeah. Um, but the the Democrat primary is obviously as it is in like the, for instance the city of Wilmington yeah. is is where the the action is. I feel like most people in cities that are your age aren't Republicans or don't identify as Republicans. That's probably true. I would say, although I mean this city is it kind of a, a different example because there's people who live here and and in the surrounding areas who work for uh, re- Republican members. And I'm not, you know, on the on the partisan scale of, of one to ten, I'm, you know, maybe like a five and a half. I mean, it's not like I said, it's not I think I think in order to do this particular job well, as we sort of alluded to earlier, you have to be able to leave some of your personal feelings at the door. And I'm just going to work for this guy today. And that's what we're going to do 
the best we can. Like if I really felt that strongly, I would run for office myself or get very more involved with the things myself. It's not something that some folks truly sort of as part of their personal identity is I'm progressive. I'm concerned. That's not my, you know, I'm an ex baseball player. (laughs) That's my, that's like my only, that's my only (laughs) thing that I, uh, you know, identify as. So yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm washed up, okay? Yeah, I'm done. I get I get recruited every every year. It's an annual tradition around April. People start knocking on my door. You want to play softball? You want to play softball? <laughs> right. No, I don't want to play softball. I did it like two summers. It's kind of fun. You can also just go to a bar and drink. You don't have to play softball before. No, you need an excuse to hang out. See, that's my I just I don't know. So anyway, that's that's how I, I identify. So it's not the the driving factor of my life. I mean, some of the limited limited government stuff, personal responsibility, like I'm on board with that, but it's, you know, not what what yeah. gets me out of bed in the morning. How has the baseball background informed your career? I think probably most importantly for, for this job, I mean, the Capitol Hill offices are small as far as the number of, of staff, so it does have a team sort of feel. Everyone, you know, we have job titles and people do specific jobs, but at the end of the day, you're all kind of utility infielder. If the member needs something, if the office needs something, you're just going to do it. Yeah. And so it is, you know, you're truly in a, in a team atmosphere that helps. Also, I think the, the day-to-day nature of the game of baseball, where every single day is just a new day, a new chance to either do well or do poorly, but it's a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. You may have had a bad news story in the newspaper. Well, that was yesterday. Today we're going to get a, a good one in there, or we're going to do something more positive the next. Uh, okay. So I think the just day, to, the, the routine and sort of the day-to-day aspect of it helps you sort of keep perspective as far as tomorrow's another opportunity. Right, right. Yeah, that's a classic. That's, I mean, that's the name of the game. If you, can, if, you can, <laughs> if you can get that, if you can get that in baseball, you're going to be, you'll play longer than I did. Have you had anything pop up in the newspaper that was either a huge success or a huge failure there's so many so it's hard you know there's going to be bad ones there's going to be good ones it's yeah. it's truly you can't get too hung up in it i mean there have been some that have been worse than others and you have to deal with some some sort of clean up aisle 5 kind of kind of stuff which is never fun and then there are some good successes where media has taken notice of something that your boss is working on and you've helped get them the information and all the things that they need and the pieces kind of come together where you've you've worked collaboratively with a number of folks on something and they and it comes out the way yeah you had hoped and that's that's great but it, again you can't get too excited about that because the next day the next thing is coming down the, right, the right, pike the and that's still ringing that's sort of the unfortunate thing you here we never really get to sort of uh, not bask in the glory but the the next thing's coming so you can sit there and celebrate your wonderful story that, that right. just came out in whatever paper but like get, tomorrow they're going to be emailing you about some shit that you don't like so, <laughs> right. so there's no maybe set, even something about that story. right right like maybe you got something wrong so it, I, you know again the, the baseball thing of, of keep your highs low and your lows high yeah i think that's a good motto for a capitol hill communicator okay I imagine a lot of creativity comes into play when you have a clean up on aisle five type situation. Yeah, and, and usually, sometimes it's it maybe just a disagreement within a, a certain group of folks about a, a policy that someone supported or whatever. There have been some things that have, have not been great and won't go into too, too great a detail here, but things involving members, family members, and things that they had done that weren't, you know, uh, by any 
standard good. And yeah. so, th- you know, things that... You mean skeletons in the closet that time. Things like that. Yeah. that are j- no one wants to be dealing with that stuff. Yeah. And, and so, but it, it happens again. You just try to put a... This is one generally where just apologize and yeah and move on is the best. I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Burr. Uh, he's a comedian. Redheaded guy from Boston that screams a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. I think I, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I've yeah. seen I think I've seen him. I don't know that I'm very familiar with his work, but I well, think I've seen him. His point is the news cycle comes and goes so quickly now. Com- and comedians get blogged about because they said something offensive. Right. And his point is just don't address it and it'll be gone in the next day. <laughs> How true is that? He's basically problem? right. I mean, he's basically yeah. right. I mean, well, that, that's the thing. There's always the, the news cycle. I don't even know if you can call it that anymore because there's really no, you know, it's constantly moving. Yeah. I mean, the beast is always feeding. So to a certain extent, that's exactly right. The worst story you've ever scene will be immediately followed by one that's not as bad right and so sometimes time is just the best there are certain things that need to be addressed but yeah that that's basically right you just kind of let time be the 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 buffer there and next thing you know they're on to something else you know there's always going to be another scandal skeleton in the closet whatever for them to cover and unless you do something just completely out there and keep reminding them and, about and, it right and then try to drag it out by explaining or yeah. no what i really meant was and this and that if you just kind of hey we're sorry and then next thing you know yeah it's, it's done with well how frustrating is that if you got something that is a good thing that you're trying that, to push and that's barely newsworthy that, anymore that where it works the same way even the best story you've had maybe you get a news story I'm talking about print primarily yeah maybe you get a good news story and a positive editorial out of it three days later mm-hmm. and then after that it's on to the next yeah thing very few I have had some personal successes with an issue that's kind of drawn out over over time where for instance the most basic example a bill is introduced it yeah. passed the house it passed the Senate became and that's you know three or four decent stories over the course of let's say six to eight months yeah even the best one you're going to have they're going to be on to the next uh, again and so do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing the news cycle moving that fast i think it it makes the job interesting i do think we are in a little bit of a place in the media environment where speed is rewarded not quality and accuracy yeah which i think is problematic i don't know how you pull the reins back on that now i mean it seems like it's just it's it's like a snowball rolling downhill Mm -hmm. so that can be frustrating i mean we i work with media a lot a lot of times we get asked for comments on a story that they've already posted well that doesn't do me a whole heck of a lot of good you've already wrote what you're gonna write right so I think stuff like, but but that's what's being rewarded in the sort of media space is who can get it first. Yeah, and, and who it, cares about that? Right. So it, it, it's kind of get it first, and then you amend it, amend it, and finally it's right. But you were first. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It's that, all about the clicks. Yeah, it's exactly. So if you can be the first on that story, mm-hmm. you know, I had one time was having a, a lunch with a reporter, which is fairly common, just to kind of chat about what's going on or what we're working on or what they're working on and almost mid sentence this reporter gets an alert on their phone and just bolts like see i gotta go see you just pay (laughs) and like they were gonna go and needed to be the first on on thing yeah that's the game for them Mm -hmm. so there's really no 
there's no the system is not rewarding someone who who really gets into the weeds on a policy and really like drains every bit of information out of it and understands the backstory yeah. and writes a you know the long form 2000 word here's how it happened right story has been replaced by the you know 300 word just get it up yeah on the and website a supplemental video yeah exactly yeah it's got to be a video or it's right. just they got no chance <laughs> it's not even a right. thing it's not a thing so <laughs> it it's, doesn't exist it's it's interesting <laughs> in that sense that there and and a lot of times we're ham sort of hamstring like i have to talk to a handful of people to figure out maybe what the issue is what the question is that they're mm-hmm. asking they want it five minutes ago yeah so it does create some tricky sort of media relations uh, issues where they want to go and they're like we're going to put this up you need you can comment now or yeah. you know like it's Ugh. the deadlines are coming fast and and furious and you know it's, it's just another challenge we have to mm-hmm. face but i don't know that it's good that it's a it's a speed over accuracy game right now how do you go about cultivating good relationships with reporters it's you know it t- it's tough it, it, because i think they're always on mm-hmm. they don't have you know you talk to people who've worked in this game you know 30 40 years ago and they'll tell you we used to go out to drinks with the reporters and we were slapping mm. you know it was more personal sounds and, like athletes too. right it is same yeah. same deal and they were that's because you know everyone filed their story at three o'clock for the paper the right. next day and like then we were done for a while yeah so there were time for those more personal contacts yeah now that they're always just always going yeah, it's harder to have a lot of face-to-face personal interactions. You try to spend some time on the phone, just kind of chatting and getting to know them a little bit. Do it over e- you know a lot is done over email, obviously. And and really, my best sort of I think advice or, or what I try to do is just be responsive to them mm-hmm. and let them hear your side or let them know, hey, I got your email about the question you asked. I'm looking into it. I'm going to get back to you. Just be keeping lines circle of- back. Yeah, circle <laughs> back is always a good. If you can work that in to as many emails as possible, just, I'm just going to circle back. Got to close the loop on a few things. <laughs> yes, close the loop. <laughs> but there's, I mean, we could go all day with the, you could do a whole podcast on just the workplace email cliches. But, you know, communicating with them early and often is always the best policy. They I don't think they like feeling ignored. Oh, it feels good to get a response back. Right. So you get a response. Okay. They're looking into it. Yeah. You know, so that's the, but there are some instances where I've been able to, to meet reporters personally and, and sort of get to know them a little bit. Yeah, but for it's, half a lunch. Yeah. Right. And then they're gone. <laughs> I had to pay for it. It's like, this is not the way it's supposed to work. But, the, but I think it's much different than maybe say 20 years ago where it was a much mm-hmm. more personal environment personal connections were a little sure. more in, important like i don't know too many of the reporters who cover capitol hill personally and you know they wouldn't know me if they saw me they know my name yeah my email okay. you know but they may, might not know what my face looks like yeah. which i always sort of joke is like i'm always i'm to me to a lot of people in virginia media outlets etc i'm just kind of like a faceless email account okay do you right. even go down to virginia i go down uh occasionally and i had been you know when i was working in nevada work went out to nevada um fairly Shoot regularly some guns. yeah yeah guns to shoot <laughs> got to connect with you know the local industry it's important uh there's job creators in our district <laughs> It was actually I went to the grand opening of that place, which is why I then <laughs> was went it back. A gun store? Or it was a, it was a or? store and shooting range. It's called <laughs> Range Seven Hundred Two. It's actually really nice. I mean, I, good I've, plug. So I've been to one. Yeah, I've been to. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I've been to one 
shooting range, and I thought that one was nice. Yeah. So that was, that was <laughs> there you go. To the extent, they even have like a little, when we went there for the opening, took us on a little tour, they have kind of mm-hmm. like a VIP area that's, you know, dark wood paneling and very nice shooting range. So you get out there and you get to meet some of them. You know, you're going to staff an event. You're going to be with your boss at a, a series of interviews he's doing. You get to meet some of them yeah. that way, but it's sort of fleeting. And then it... Well, when you're meeting people, do you always feel on to in the sense of, well, we have these points that we're trying to get across, or is it listening to what people have to say? Probably more listening and also just, you know, chatting. Like, for instance, if we're hosting an event and they're going to, this reporter is going to be there to cover it, I can kind of talk to them on the sidelines about what's going on or maybe some of the mm-hmm. backstory, but also just some personal, you know, just getting to know them and, and chatting. So it doesn't, the feeling isn't that you're always on. Yeah. Um, but then they may, it may be we're talking about our time at the shooting range one minute and then they switch and immediately like, then, you know, it's a real question, oh, you know, so it, it okay. kinda, you kind of have to have a sense of, of when is, uh, which is which. Right. right. <laughs> How'd which you figure which? that out? You're like, this is a little more serious of a question. I guess I'm, I guess we're playing professionals now. I'll have to right. answer this appropriately, but, but for the most part. They're very, you know, everyone I've ever worked with is very good about we're just kind of chatting off the record just to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. So if you say, ah, th- that one member did something crazy last week, they're not going to go tweet, you know, so-and-so spokesperson says so-and-so is crazy. So yeah. they kind of know that the, the ground rules a little bit. And it's always important to establish those. Yeah. Well, let's talk about crazy tweets. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you work for a Republican? How does that align with our president, and how has that changed things? It's it's really interesting. I mean, I, Twitter, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd have a hard time believing somebody who argued to me that Twitter has drastically improved things for mm-hmm. us as a sort of a society. It's another place where first is better than right. right. I mean, people, you know, almost every day, I bet if you wanted to spend your time doing this, you could find a story every day of someone who tweeted something and deleted it and then got fired, demoted, or worse right because of it so it's not it clearly it's done some interesting things for speed of information sharing certainly it's also done a lot of harm to people who harm themselves so they're tweeting it of course right. uh, <laughs> yeah. and, you know unless of course you say you were hacked which <laughs> usually is not the case i was hacked <laughs> no you weren't hacked um but it you know i think what you've seen with president donald trump is taking twitter to a whole different place where i mean there's tweets going off at midnight from Mm -hmm. the president's personal twitter account about the gop needs to do this and it so it's been it's interesting i mean there for a time i'm kind of wondering like do i just need to set up an alert or like an rss feed Uh, for every time just to know what's what it is because then the reporter or whoever's going to come to us with a question what did you think about what trump tweeted i don't even know because i don't follow you know i don't know (laughs) So I try. How can you not yeah, follow? Yeah. So, so I try to. I mean, social media is a part of my job and my professional world. I'm not a huge social media guy mm-hmm. personally, but it's a part of of the job. I try to sort of limit when I'm looking at it during the the work day. Yeah. You can just get down a oh, rabbit, a rabbit hole. hole. Yeah. yeah. You can next thing you know, the day's over and you haven't <laughs> done anything. So, I think it had. Like I said, it has done wonders as far as you know live tweeting of events of significant events you know whether they they be political in nature or not i mean it's it's certainly an interesting platform Mm -hmm. do does your office use it we do we don't we're not big on on twitter 
Although interestingly, I mean, most of a lot of the reporters and media outlets are on Twitter that that you know are in our district. So yeah. it's another way to get stuff to them. But we don't use it as in in a way that some other politicians do, where they're kind of using it as like the live feed of their day or, or whatever. We have yeah. Instagram, Facebook's so big. We try to just if we're not doing it on Facebook, we probably don't need to don't need to do it. So we okay. we stay there. That's that's where the I mean the largest share of who we're trying to reach is there so yeah other than Facebook. those fans that that's the interesting thing is audience you know segmentation like we have our phone callers we have our emailers we have our facebookers right. so you got to kind of make sure you're always always where the people yeah. are yeah how has trump being elected changed things in your office it has, has it? It, it well I, we've certainly seen an uptick in constituent correspondence calls emails etc mm. i mean um both anti and in support. I mean, yeah. I think he is just what you've seen with him is he's just sort of energized people of all yeah. stripes. Polarized. Right. Polarized, <laughs> energized. There's right. you know, multiple words for these things, of course. But that everyone's sort of strongly opposed or strongly for. We very rarely get a call from someone's like, you know, I think this is kind of reasonable and maybe we should think about doing something like that, but maybe not exactly that. That call is never coming to the office. It's 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 like hell no or hell yes, basically, is what we hear right. essentially. So that's changed things in a sense. We have to just field more volume coming in, which then means more is going out because we do respond to, to everyone. Communications-wise, it has become much more of a question to respond to what the administration is talking about or doing than maybe okay. previously, just yeah. because there's such a focus on on the the new administration. Yeah. So we're getting a lot more, you know, the president said this, but this, thing, you know, those types of questions that, you know, I don't know that any, like my current boss was in Congress years before President Trump got here. He has sort of an, an agenda and things he wants to do that he was doing before and will be doing in theory after. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of hard. You know, we feel like we're kind of getting the internal battle is, do we just spend all of our time following the White House or do we just stick to this is what we're doing? But it's hard because not as many media outlets would be maybe interested in paying attention to what we're doing because the big yeah. show in town is the new administration. So it's a delicate balance of where do we find the sweet spot in that? We just we can't spend the next, you know, however many years playing, you know, let's just chase the White House. Yeah, there's got to be a certain frustration with that, I would imagine, just for anybody that gets into politics, other than uh, you, who heard it was fun. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but I imagine a lot of people get into politics because they feel they can make a change and do something better for the area that they are from. That's right. And then it seems like they get to Washington, and it might not be quite the reality there's, that you can make that change. And I think that the pace of change is, is much slower. Yeah. You know, it, and you can't talk about those things on the campaign trail necessarily because it would sound so silly. You know, I'm going to go and, and be your representative in Congress. And in, you know, four years, I'm going to try, you know, get something passed that mm -hmm. might have an impact back here. I mean, you kind of campaign as if you're going to do it tomorrow. Oh, uh, man, uh, that's uh, frustrating. Which, which then you get here. And, and I, I'm sure I don't know from from personal experience, but I have to imagine there are members who get here as what we actually call them freshmen, mm -hmm. freshman members who become disillusioned or very frustrated. Like, this is just not what yeah. I thought. And, and I think they hear that it's kind of dysfunctional and slow moving and you're not going to get a lot done. But then actually being in it, I'm sure, is is much different. But that but that's the the exact point is 
you know, no one runs because they want to just chase the White House or, or do, you know what I mean? They. How about our president? <laughs> certain people. Do you think he's a freshman? Is he uh, disillusioned po- yet? Politically speaking. Well, I, I think he, I mean, even uh, he admitted it was uh, harder than right. he thought it would be, which right. I'm like, it's the hardest job. Like, how could that even be a, co- a real thing? Like. <laughs> What did you think? I, that that's the kind of thing that you're like, wow, that's that was an interesting take on that. Yeah. Like it's harder than you thought it would be. He should have had an unpaid internship first. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why we, you know, no one ever gets to uh, a certain level without that first internship. But I'm sure for for him too. You know, you sort of. I don't know if this is the exact expression, but I mean, you kind of campaign like a king. Like you're, you know, you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that. Well, you actually need Congress to do all those things. Yeah. And so it becomes a very tricky, well, you know, President Trump said he was going to do this in the first 100 days. Well, yeah, but there's the House and Senate have some say in that. So, right. you know, and, and that can be a slow, uh, you know, kind of sand in the gears of, yeah. of the administration's, you know, wishes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure it's frustrating for, for everyone. I don't know what the answer to it is necessarily. I know that some people have argued maybe it's better to have the complete sort of control of Washington the way it is, Republican and the White House, or the other party. Yeah. Uh, so okay, they can yeah. kind of knack their agenda and then let the voters decide if it was good or not. Others say it's better to have divided because then one sort of a check on mm-hmm. on the other in a certain sense. I've kind of seen both. It feels essentially the same, although the you know full Republican control of, of Congress and the White House is new. It feels very similar. You still have to get... 60 votes for stuff in the Senate. You still have to get things yeah. through committees in the House. <laughs> right. like it's, you know, it's not easy. It takes a lot That's of work. Why they call it, yeah, it's not easy. That's why they call it what? They're like the, the sausage making of the legislative process. I mean, it's, you got to get <laughs> oh, your really? hands. Yeah, you got to get your hands dirty and, and get in there. And it takes time. Yeah. And, you know, members are here for two years. They have to start running for their next reelection, you know, after yeah. six, eight months. So. And have you been involved on the campaign trails at all? I haven't done any paid campaign work although for Mike Castle I did for a little while in Mm -hmm. in 2010 but you know you are allowed per the house ethics rules to spend time doing campaign work on your you know what they call your free time which essentially just not your nine to five yeah or you can take you know two hours off and and go to a a separate office space or something like that and do some of that work so I've, I've done that and communicators do it probably more than some others because the message is you know it's the same principal person the mm-hmm. member of congress is the candidate right. so it makes sense that i would be involved in that to a yeah. certain extent working on a campaign how stressful is that is that like way more stressful than your day-to-day that can be that can be pretty intense and we had a pretty intense one 2016 with joe heck who i worked for out of out of nevada and that was pretty you know the last year of that felt felt pretty intense mm-hmm. i mean it was a, a highly scrutinized race because nevada is sort of a battleground type of state um harry reed was retiring which was sort of a big which was a big deal yeah. um and yeah that that gets to be pretty pretty heated uh as far as the candidate said this about your you know a lot of back and you know it's like a little mini presidential campaign <laughs> right? and it's pretty yeah right. it's pretty it's pretty wild so that was my first time doing something sort of statewide mm-hmm. and and that was it was interesting experience and it was a little different there were no you know there's no right now i'm not in a tie and a suit because we're out of session and yeah. the day is a little slower when you're oh, out okay. of session campaign there's no out of session yeah every day is campaign day so i imagine it just ramps up more and more every single yeah, day it until built, the, yeah <laughs> until it, the it gets it gets hot and heavy and nevada is a crazy state because 
They said it's a battleground, so there's money pouring in from outside groups, from inside the mm-hmm. state. It's, I mean, it's it's pretty intense. It's yeah. fun. I mean, if you like sort of competition, I mean, the campaign is is the competition where there's a winner and a loser. Does that compare to baseball? Do you think it it just feels competitive? Yeah, you know, which is you could find in in anything. It just feel you know, it's about as long as a baseball season. That's really the, the closest. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it feel you know, it just feels competitive. Like they're yeah. you know, and maybe it's not good that it's like a, it's either gonna be us or them, you know, men- mentality, but that's the the nature of it. I that, would think that that's fun though. Yeah. Oh it's believe me, it's it's kind of intoxicating. That's why you have people who I've known folks who have worked on Capitol Hill for a little while, they go work on a campaign and they're like, uh, I kinda like the campaign better 'cause yeah. they, and then they never leave. They just do campaign stuff, and they work their way up through that, those ranks, and they end up working on a presidential campaign or a bigger yeah. Senate race or whatever. Get that rush. <laughs> it is. Well, then that's, I think, people like that. You literally never know when you wake up on a campaign what the heck's going to happen. Yeah. It could be, I mean, it runs the gamut. I mean, you just do not know right. from one day to the next <laughs> what you're going to be doing. And so that's scary but it's invigorating and it's kind of exciting and it is competitive, which yeah. most people are pretty competitive at some level. So it's kind right. of fun. Have you seen the war room? I haven't seen the war room. No, you gotta watch it. I know I gotta watch it. I try not to confession of the day. I don't. I've never watched House of Cards, mm-hmm. which I know is the. And I, I understand like a new season or something is just coming out. I try yeah. to stay a little, you know, because it's just not. I don't know. I don't know why. I just like I do this during the day yeah you'll probably crazy. watch it like it's not like it's that not like that yeah and i'm gonna get all angry uh about right. it i i don't know i would imagine someone who i i can't think of an example like if you're a conductor on that train you probably don't go home and watch shows about trains you probably oh, yeah, watch sport, yeah. you know what i mean you probably watch a sporting event or, or whatever that should maybe that's a weird example but the no, point is I, I think it's like i'm not gonna watch a show about the political goings on in washington because i like right that just You're happened. Ye- it. Yeah, it happened yeah. yesterday or, or <laughs> yeah. whatever. So I try not to. Have I missed anything? I don't think. Covered a lot of not ground. A, that was good. Not at all. No, it was good. All right. Well, thanks for doing the podcast. Yeah, it was great. great. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thank cool. you. Okay, that was Greg Lemon, and that is the episode. If you stick around a little longer at the end of this, I added in some bonus footage for you in which Greg gives some speaking techniques. And I want to just say thanks to everyone who tuned in. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or on the Facebook page. I just recently started an Instagram account as well, at The Design of Everything. So be sure to check that out and follow along. If any of my listeners have any suggestions for future guests or comments about the show, please send me an email at thedesignofeverything at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. People feel like, especially politicians, if they're not filling the space yeah. with words or some sound in that then case, it's bad. then it's bad. So they start, um, you know, and they, so we, we actually have with my boss right now a deal where if he uses any crutch words or crutch sort of 
techniques, if you will. Get to he kick owes him in the he nuts. owes he owes us a dollar. He owes us <laughs> oh, a dollar, right. which is even better than, than kicking him in the nuts because then <laughs> some financial incentive there. Uh, but that's kind of but it shows that it's just not for some people. It just still is is a constant yeah. learning. I use the word like way too much. Yeah, I I tried the one thing I read online that was about how to get rid of that stuff was encouraging people to just take a pause. If you feel yourself about to say like, mm. just be quiet, just don't. And then, okay, what was I going to say right after that? Yeah. And then say that. Not only that, I um, took, <laughs> there I go. Yeah. I took an acting class and one of the things they taught us was stillness commands power. Right. And just taking that moment says, oh, look how powerful and confident yeah. in my words. I'm just going to hold for a second <laughs> yeah. and go. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Well, interestingly, I mean, I feel like probably more political figures should take an acting, a public speaking and things like that. A lot of times they just get kind of thrust into these roles or they thrust themselves into it without really right. having that type of background. Yeah. Whereas you've seen some who, who have had it or ones who have had debate who are very effective. Like, I mean, one that comes to mind on the Republican side is Ted Cruz was like a champion debater. Chris Coons from Delaware, mm, yeah. championship debater. Joe Biden, like those people have a presence learning how to get up in front of an audience you're given a question or an issue or a a topic and then you debate it back and forth those people are very good yeah. extemporaneously on the campaign stump and you can tell somebody who's you know like chris coons like i said from delaware is very good yeah watching him you're like okay this guy well are there techniques that you can do to buy yourself some time while you think of an answer that's the thing that i think is tricky a lot of times these interactions come in short interviews it's not, you know, you don't have five minutes or it's not a conversation where you can really think about it. I mean, you need to be ready to go right away. The, the technique that we try to teach, you know, any person who's going to be delivering a message is like, know the messages that you want to get across early. And then, you know, regardless of sort of what the question is, you can always have these, like, if you know you're, for instance, talking about healthcare, regardless of the nuance of the question, you can always lead with your sort of healthcare message yeah. of the day. That and then meanwhile you're like shit like what was that question i should <laughs> right. figure out an answer to that like don't say something stupid yeah, don't yeah, say something stupid yeah and and really a lot of times it's more holding serve and not saying something stupid than yeah. it is really delivering some you know groundbreaking comment uh, yeah my wife was going to a trade negotiation or something that she felt she wasn't qualified for just yet and i told her Anytime you get into a situation, just work your way back to saying, well, that's a really great point, and that's something that we'll have to circle back on. Yeah. And you're making a lot of good points. Yeah. Just tell them how great yeah. they are. Just tell, right. Make it more about them. <laughs> tell them they're great. I haven't had a chance to really look into the specifics of that. I mean, the one, you know, a crisis communications technique that is, is well tested and tried is, you know, if you don't have the answer to something, don't make something up. Or oh, don't try yeah. to, don't try to, like, you kind of think you might maybe know. Just we don't have that information right now that's more in you know when you're dealing with you know a calamity of some kind maybe a, an attack or something oh, with, you yeah. know where you don't know why it happened or how many injured or whatever you see that a lot you know with a, like a terrorism attack on the news right. you see them talking about it we don't know we'll get you that as soon as we as we know sometimes that's okay